Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is brought to you by our good friends over at Mercury Mile. Mercury Mile is fusing fashion and function for runners of all abilities. It really is just you're three steps away from getting a Mercury Mile box. Just first go online, mercurymile.com, create a profile, and then your personal stylist will tailor a box to your needs, styles, sizes, and preferences. And at that point, you'll get the box. Shortly thereafter, keep what you love. Send back what you don't. This is not a subscription box service. You just get a box when you request one. And I'm assuming that you're going to like what you see. I know I've liked uh, what I've seen in my uh, Mercury Mile boxes. And if you don't, shoot, you just send it back. No harm, no foul. And then you try again maybe a month or two later. Um, so, again, mercurymile.com. And if you use the promo code RAMBLINGRUNNER10, you save 10 bucks at checkout. So today's episode is with Victoria Philippi. Victoria is someone who I have uh, been following for quite a while. She has taken her coaching business in just, shoot, just a handful of years from nothing, literally no coaching business, to a booming coaching business. So her business is called Run for PRs. Also, Victoria is an established runner. She has run a couple dozen marathons and half marathons, which is incredible for someone at her age who really doesn't have much of a running background in her formative years, you know, of high school and in the beginning of college. So we really had a fun conversation. Kind of the first half is talking about her own background from a running and coaching perspective, how she got into each and where she is right now with both of those. In the second half, we do almost a 40-minute Coach's Corner segment, which I know a lot of people have loved the Coach's Corner segments here on the Rambling Runner podcast. And this is the longest one we've ever done. And she was just dropping knowledge bombs all over the place. I have no doubt that you're going to get a lot out of this episode, no matter how good of a runner you are. And this isn't just any episode. This is the one-year anniversary anniversary week of the Rambling Runner podcast. So I started this podcast the second week of July, 2017. So this week, um, I was just so excited to have Victoria on the show. So I have another great guest coming up in a few more days. Um, so I have two great guests for this week that I really planned on uh, a couple months ago. And I'm just so happy that it came to fruition. If you like what you hear, also check out the Patreon page. You have the link. Um, actually, it will be in the, uh, in the show notes to this podcast. It's just patreon.com forward slash rambling runner. Two great things about the Patreon page. First of all, you get more content. If you like the show, then you'll get even more stuff there. Also, it's a way of supporting the show. This is something that I love doing. This show has become so darn popular, um, especially compared to what I thought it would be. Frankly, I had no expectations whatsoever. I thought this was just going to be a hobby that I just did for fun and that no one would ever listen to. And it's amazing to me that last month in June, we had over 100,000 downloads. It's just hard for me to put that in perspective, but... If you want more information and more fun stuff from the Rambling Runner, um, I'd be happy to provide it. Uh, there's a lot of good stuff over on Patreon. Also, it's just a way of supporting the show. Uh, so if you do like what you hear and you just want to support it, I would greatly appreciate it. 
with all of that being said, I am delighted to bring you this episode with Victoria Philippi. Hello, Victoria, and welcome to the Rambling Runner podcast. Hi, Matt. It is so great to be on your podcast. I have so many athletes who rave about on your show and they listen to you during their long run. So I'm just really honored to be on it. Oh, well, tell man, that is great to hear. Thank you so much <laughs> for sharing that. Um, hey, that's great. All right. I'm glad I'm glad you got that note I sent you. You read it verbatim and I appreciate that. <laughs> no, but uh, no, that is great to hear. And I'll tell you, it, it's, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, this is the one year anniversary of the start. And I was so excited to get you on the show for this anniversary week. So again, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you know, you're, you're battling right now. You got, you're running in the heat, you're working hard, you're creating all these Instagram TV videos. You're, you're out there, you're like a multimedia mogul and your little one has their, has her, uh, has his fourth ear infection. Oh no. Yeah. It's been hard the last few months with all the reoccurring ear infections, but I guess, you know, that's life kind of with a baby, you know, you have to expect the unexpected and that's just kind of how life is. And you just keep training through it and pushing through just kind of like in running. Yeah, that's for sure. And the whole point of this show is kind of balancing running with the rest of your life and you're living it 100%. So, um, you know, I think anyone who follows you and a lot of people who listen to this show, if they, you know, if they've listened to this for a little while, probably know who you are so you are the founder of run for prs which is a coaching service and you also are very active in social media as well and i'll tell you after watching you for quite a quite a while you know you've run you know dozens of marathons and half marathons and at first glance it looks as if you're just a natural runner <laughs> and you know because you know you have this big coaching business you're you, you run the what's the low low to mid three three teens in the marathon. Yeah. Um, but after digging into it a little bit more, it, it seemed like you're, you're not quite the natural I thought you were from, uh, from, uh, you know, when you're, I guess with the beginning of your running career. Yes. So yeah. I hear that all the time. People say, Oh, I had no idea you haven't been running your whole life. And I think when people see the pictures on social media, they just assume, Oh, she's just a natural. She's been doing this her whole life. And it just kind of goes to show that, there's a lot of things through those little square boxes that you see that you don't always get the full picture of. So I started running back. The story kind of dates back to when I was a sophomore in high school. Our gym teacher made us do two laps as a warm up around the track. And I just remember so clearly I was in an all girls gym class and everyone could just run so naturally. And I was the second to last person to finish every single time. And she used to yell like, if you don't finish this in under five or six minutes or whatever it was, you're not trying. And I was really alarmed because I could never finish. I was like right at the cutoff and she just, she would always kind of give me this attitude. Like I wasn't trying. And I thought there was something wrong with me because I just wasn't good at it. And I didn't understand why everyone else was. So I kind of made an effort to better myself. And I wanted to like, make sure that, Hey, there isn't something wrong with me. Um, so I, I started kind of, jogging down the block or going to the gym with my mom some days. Um, and I didn't really get into it and start actually running more than, you know, just down the block or around the street till like two years later. So <laughs> yeah. And then from there, it just kind of spiraled into doing five K races and now marathons where I'm at now, but that was, it's all started like 10 years ago. 
and a lot in between those two things. That's for sure. And so many things. Yeah. Yeah. And when you were, when you were kind of having that exploration of running, were you doing other sports as well? Or was this just like, kind of, was this your, your start into athletics? No. So growing up, I think when I was like five, six, you know, like your parents have you do those sort of sports. But after that, I was never really good at any of them and it never really stuck. And so when I started high school, I was just someone who kind of got a job and I just kind of focused on academics more. Um, I really wasn't athletic and in gym class, people would always pick me last. I wasn't very coordinated or good at any sports at all. So it was kind of like my whole it's the first time I ever really got into athletics. And I think that's why maybe I'm so passionate about it now is because it's like on my whole life, I thought I wasn't into athletics. I wasn't into fitness. I never categorized myself as an athlete until I was an adult. So it's really powerful. So what do you think caused you to, I guess, go after running once you had that experience with your gym teacher, instead of going the other direction and be like, man, she's right. Like, this is, this is I'm not cut out for this. I'm just like, I ha- I'm not an athlete yet. I haven't done anything athletically, you know, sustained over a long period totally. of time up to this point. Like, you kind of could have gone in one of two di- different directions there. And you right. chose the athletic direction. Why do you think you did that as opposed to going the other way? So in the beginning, I mean, I guess I kind of, I was really dabbling in it. It would be really on and off. Like I would do, you know, run down the block and I was like, oh, I'm so bad at this. And I would just trash the idea for like two months. And then I'd be like, you know what? You should try it again. And it was just this little voice being like, just keep trying again. And I would take, you know, like months off. But then eventually when I was in college, um, you know, fast forward four years, I've still had this like habit of always in the back of my mind, kind of wanting to prove this person wrong or wanting to, you know, do this for myself. And at the same time, you know, college is really stressful and I needed a way to like relieve that stress. And I found myself often like just grabbing my dorm room key and like headed out the back and just I would just run and then I would just walk back. (laughs) I don't know. It was just a way to like relieve stress really quick. And it kind of became addictive from that standpoint um, at that point in college. Right. And then that's kind of when you got to a new level. So what made you... um... Again, I was doing a little background research on you. So what made you totally. reach out to the, to the cross-country and track coach at your, your small Division three school <laughs> to kind of to get, get, get more information about running? Like what, what was the conduit that you know, sparked that in you? Yeah, so about two years after that whole, you know, out of my dorm room doing those little jogs, I signed up for 5K. One of my academic advisors, you know, suggested, hey, you should try this if you like running. Um, so I was like, I don't even know what a 5K is. What is I had to, like, Google search, what it, like, what is the distance? And then when I found out it was three miles, I was like, maybe I could do that. So I signed up. I did the race, and it was really fun. And I was looking at my placement in the race. I think I ran about 25 minutes. And I was like, oh, well, that's that. I didn't place as bad as I thought I would or whatever. I, I had no idea what good was or what bad was. I was just only comparing against, you know, what I felt like was good or bad when I was running. So when I saw, like, I placed, you know, top 10% or something, I was like, well, maybe I could be on a cross-country team. I don't know. So I reached out. <laughs> Yeah. And the coach kind of sounds like kind of welcomed you, you know, with open arms, especially considering that you probably weren't near the level of the the runners that that were on the team. No. Yeah. So I looked on the team roster and these girls were running like 20 minutes and these are on cross country courses. Right. And I was like, "Mm, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, you know, I naively like had no idea like what a difference it was. So he was like, well, yeah, you can come to the camp and you can train with us. And if you run under, I think he wanted me to run under eight minute pace or something for a two mile 
time trial with the team, then I'll let you compete. And I was like, Oh, I have to do this. So I just, he kind of like really, he believed in me and like, he never really like judged me at all. And I think like his influence really had a big influence in me because he just, he treated me like everyone else. And he was very inspiring and encouraging for me um, at that point in my life. And I think that's just what I needed to kind of like blossom into the runner that I am today. Now, when was the last time before that experience that you had had an athletic coach? When I was like five, six, I don't know. (laughs) So what were your expectations going into that? Because that was not, I mean, that was a pretty big step to like jump into a potential, you know, a college, a college athletic scene with someone who views their coaching as their livelihood. So what did you, what, how did you think that relationship, how did you think that relationship was going to work out? Excuse me. And how did it end up working out? Um, I guess I thought that, like, since I wasn't that good at it, that he wasn't going to really pay much attention to me. And I would just kind of be like a fly on the wall sort of thing because, you know, I'm just some girl who likes to run. I, I haven't been running in high school. Like, I didn't really have high expectations in that regard. I just kind of was hoping that I could just be on the team and just be able to compete or do whatever with the team. So it was very low, but he, he said, I mean, like he set the bar for coaches and all of my future to be very high. And what were some of the things that he taught you, I guess, first about running that up to that point you were naive about? Oh my gosh. Like everything. He taught me so much about running. I was that annoying person during practice. I'd be like, why are we doing this? And, you know, instead of being annoyed with my questions, he would always answer them and people would actually like learn things um, through the training and just keeping your easy days easy and like what running workouts were like, I didn't know any of those things. And he, he kind of opened the door for all of that and more. And what did you take to more than others from a workout standpoint? Because everyone has their own, you know, workouts they like workouts they don't like. And obviously you have experienced a lot of different things in that setting and experienced it with runners of a pretty high pedigree. So did you take to certain workouts more than others? Um, I think the biggest thing that I learned during my whole season there is that, um, like everyone kind of has like a different talent that they're good at in distance running. You know, some people are really good at the 10 K. Some people are good at the five K. Some people are really good at the mile. And so we had some girls who were, you know, they were the 800 meter runners. They ran cross country, but they were, they had speed, you know, and then there were the girls who they did the 10 K and I didn't really know what I was good at. And so I'd always ask him like, what am I good at? And he, he was like, let's find out, let's try you in different events. And, out of that, we kind of came to the event that I was better at was the 1500. So a little bit more of like what they would call mid distance, but it's definitely a lot faster than, you know, like a marathon. Um, so I was kind of good at the 1500, which is close to the one mile event. Right. Exactly. Yeah. hundred, but it was about a hundred meters less than the one mile. Yeah. Um, oh, interesting. So did you end up running track as well? Yeah, so I just did the one season my junior year. I did cross country, and then he he actually wanted me to do indoor and outdoor track, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't know what track is. And he was like, you got to do it. Come on, you have to. And I was like, okay, might as well. So yeah, he convinced me to do it. God, so you so you gravitated more towards the shorter end of the of the track scene. I um, did. And yet <laughs> running marathons, I know <laughs> multiple, you know, you know, so at this point, what have you done? Was, was it 17, 18 around there? Yeah. I think Boston this year was my 17th. Holy cow. That is quite a lot. So obviously you, you had, you, you gave birth fairly recently. Yeah. So I prior to that pregnancy, 
Wait, did you run? Was it sixteen marathons in four years? Yeah, is that, it was a is lot. That right? Yeah, yeah. Now that <laughs> is <many>. so interesting. <laughs> so, so why? What about the marathon had like this gravitational pull for you that got you not only into it but so deep into it? Yeah, I guess. Um, at first, I just kind of got you know, you run your first one, you say you're never going to do it again. And then before it's even over, right? right like you're yeah. like mile 22, like, done, you're like I'm crying. Done. Yep. So <laughs> I mean, I had a like, not so great first marathon experience. In my opinion, I was I'm probably just being too hard on myself. I, I didn't feel great towards the end. I mean, this is very typical common first marathon experience for a lot of people. Um, I was kind of like under trained. And I went into it like a little bit with like an ego because I was like, Oh, well, you know, like, I, I've done a lot of races and, and it didn't end up well. So after that one, I kind of wanted to prove to myself, hey, I can do better at this. And so I did a few more and then it kind of became about traveling. So my husband was my boyfriend at the time and he's a big runner too. So like when we first met, I went out to support him at Chicago. And so then it was like, oh, we want to do all these races all over the place. And then mixed in there, like, there's just a lot of things that kind of went on in my personal life, like my mom going through cancer and chemotherapy and all that stuff. Those were things that like, I kind of use this coping mechanisms. Like I would just sign up for a marathon, like, you know, two weeks or a week in advance and be like, I'm just going to run this marathon because I just need to like process some thoughts or just, it was more for like therapeutic for me, a lot of them. Um, and I did race a few in there, but a lot of them were kind of like more spur of the moment, like just more of mentally going through things. So what was therapeutic about it was it testing your limits or was it just time on your feet kind of you know three hours of exertion kind of having that alone time (laughs) yeah I think it's just more having that alone time like facing those demons like when you're in the later miles of a race like you have a lot of negative thoughts and I think like processing through them can really help you like in real life situations when you're going through days where you're like wow this is really difficult and it's just something that you can lean on and say you know what I did the marathon like you're gonna get through it and it's just like that whole processing through pushing through things i don't know right and we should say your mom got through it yeah definitely yeah she's like three-year survivor now so it's good and not only that she was your first coaching client yes so before she even got cancer or any of that stuff she was approaching her 50th birthday she'd never ran before and she was like victoria i'm really inspired by you picking up running as an adult and I want to do one of these 5K races. And so I said, okay. And she's like, write me a plan. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I just kind of wrote something together. This was, I don't know, six or seven years ago. I wrote something together for all in the treadmill. This was all just like treadmill speeds. And I gave it to her. I was like, yeah, just do this. And then we were going to run the 5K race together um, like 10 weeks later. So she went from walking to running. And she ran her first 5K in like 33 or 34 minutes after that. And she just raved about it. She's like, I love your plan. And she always wanted more. And she just kept talking them up. And then eventually my brother got into it because he saw my mom getting into it. And it was like this trickle effect that like everyone around us and everyone in our families, they all wanted to get into it. And they were all asking me for plans. And I was like, okay, I'll write you something. Um, And then it kind of inspired me to learn more about like the whole training that I was giving to people as well as my own training. How can I improve, um, from that perspective? And my husband also, he was a cross country and track coach for a long time. Um, he's a FIA teacher and he's a 246 marathoner himself. So he was a big influence in me getting into coaching and he taught me a lot about coaching also. Yeah. So 
how do you how did you learn more and more about coaching? I've watched your videos and I you know I follow you. You're obviously very knowledgeable. Your business wouldn't be Thanks. booming as it is <laughs> if if you weren't. And, you. and and we could talk about uh, later in the show just how you went from mom to booming business. Um, you know, just the X's knows of it because I know there are people who are listening to this who are coaches who probably are a little curious. Yep. But just in terms of professional development. How did you become a better coach over time? How did you, you know, what are the things that you read, learned, uh, people you learned from, just all of that? Yeah, so a lot of it was the people in my life. So um, my cross-country coach, like, we remained really good friends for a long time. Like, we would talk a lot about training, coaching, technique, like, what should I be doing? And just, I mean, those were, like, my the people that I surrounded myself with in my daily life were pretty much all running coaches. All my friends were either running coaches or they were big runners. And that's just, like, all we talked about. Um, it sounds kind of nerdy, but that's just kind of, like, what my life that's how it was and that's kind of how I got into it and doing a lot of research a lot of it was like google search find articles just read everything you can and then just you know I mean the internet's amazing um I don't know people like 40 years ago they they had it so different than what we do now and everything's at your fingertips and this also kind of goes back to the whole coaching business thing um like how it's so successful is because of the internet but there's so much information out there and all people need to do is really like you know, there's stuff on YouTube, there's podcasts about this stuff. And Runners Connect has amazing articles. I love their articles. I read so much on there. Um, there's books, there's so much out there. Yeah, there really is. It's, it's, it's like this, you know, there's a wealth of, of information out there. So when you were first elevating your business um, from just, you know, friends and family, you know, basically people who are novice runners to mm -hmm. them getting into more experienced runners, what was that like for you personally? Did it start getting, were you, were you nervous about elevating it? Uh, and kind of the more, the kind of taking it from just like a hobby thing that you did for certain people and elevating to like, all right, now this is serious. I have people who actually want to achieve right. hard and fast goals who are experienced runners. Uh, what was that like internally for you kind of taking that step? Um, I guess for me, like I never really took on anything that I wasn't super comfortable with. I mean, as far as like launching my coaching business prior to even starting any of that, I, I mean, I worked as a financial analyst and accountant and I, I loved my job and that's kind of like what I always thought I would do with my life. And that's, I'm a huge numbers person. Um, and so then Landy and like all these people wanting training plans, it was, I was actually more like surprised by it than anything. I was never, I never felt like I would never take on someone that I didn't feel like oh, like we'd be a good fit or whatever, I would refer them maybe to like my old coach, Skelly or other people. I would take on clients that I thought would be like a good fit when I first started and we meshed really well together and it was really like one-to-one -one, and like I only coached, you know, a handful of people for the first couple of years that I did it and it was more, it was more kind of like for a hobby and helping them, but they did have high goals. Like my first two people that I can think of who had the big goals, they were wanted to qualify for Boston and we took them on like the summer three years ago, I think was really the first time that I started getting people with those serious type of goals. And then they achieved it all that fall. Yeah. I mean, shoot, we might just dive into it now since we're already here. Totally. Um, yeah. I was talking to James McCurdy, who's my coach who um, is for McCurdy trained. And I yeah. asked him like, Hey, how does someone get in into coaching? If you don't have, you know, kind of like the coaching background where say you're an assistant coach at a school or this high school or college, and then just kind of work your way up that way. If you just kind of start in 
the private sector from a coaching business, how does one even start? And his thing was like, hey, just start helping people. Yes. Just start helping people and do it for the right reasons. Exactly. And then build up from there. And it sounds like you pretty much did the same thing. Yeah. I love what he said about that because that's really kind of how it started. Like for me, I was never like, you know what? I want to be a run coach. I, it was more just like people were asking for help and it was like this hobby. I mean, I love running. I love sharing my passion with others. Kind of like you in this podcast, like you're kind of more doing it for fun. Like you like to talk to people. You want to get people's story out there. And that's kind of like what I was doing in the beginning. Um, and on top of that, I had my full-time job and eventually, I mean, I wasn't even charging these people at first. And then eventually I was like, okay, I'm working a lot. I don't really have enough time to like write plans for all these people. So I put up this store and I was like, I doubt anyone will buy anything from me because it's whatever. And then all of a sudden people are like, no, I want your help. And it just, it kind of like cascaded from there. And I think I did start like with just the whole intention of helping people. And that's why I post those videos because if one person says, oh, like I really learned something from that. Or if one person gets a benefit out of one of my posts that I post on Instagram saying, you know what, like take your recovery seriously. Um, maybe someone has never heard that before. And if it changes like one thing that they do and it really transforms their training, um, that's really powerful for me because I know what it's like to be stuck kind of in a plateau or not really have a lot of people surrounding me who are into running. And if one person can make that impact, it makes a huge difference. So you started to site pretty early on. Yeah, I would say I started the site about three years ago to chart. Yeah, or three and a half about. And was it, was it called Run for PRs right away or did you kind of um, evolve into that? You know, that's really funny is um, me and my husband, because he was like, you know, you're writing a lot of plans for people because he worked for Lifetime Fitness at the time as a running coach um, and a run coordinator there at the gym. And he was like, you should, you know, start a site or whatever. And then we sat there, we talked, what should my name be? And I was like, what about run for PRs? And he's like, yeah, right. I'm sure that's taken by someone somewhere. And we Googled it and nothing was taken. So I was like, yes, I need that. <laughs> I mean, it's, it really is great. It, yeah. is, it is a great line. And you guys have a great logo for sure. Thanks. I don't know who created it, but it's yes, very catchy. Yes, the logo is amazing. And actually it was um, ben Jacobs is one of our coach and he coached Vanessa to a 310 marathon PR at Boston last year, not this past year, but in 2017. And she just one day emailed us with like three different logos. She was like, which one do you guys like? And I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did this. I was like the kindness of your own heart. And so I think that that just is, kind of speaks to the community that we've created because people, I mean, they just feel so supported and like they're part of something that they would just like come up with these logos on their own. And so I just am like in awe that she even did that because she's a designer um, for logos and stuff like that, graphic designer for her job. And that's just something she wanted to do for us as like a thank you, I guess. Right. Well, that, that, that is, hey, you guys obviously were doing a good job and sometimes it just look. <laughs> Sometimes luck just shines on you, right? You get something like Seriously, that. Seriously, yes, yeah. It was I, every day. I think of it when I look at the the tanks. So yeah. Now, when you um, oh my goodness, I, I forgot what I was about to say. All right, so <laughs> all right, this is what it was. So we have a lot of people, like I said, who listen to this, who coach people either full time or part time, or even you know even more of a side hustle type thing, and you did that right so you you started that place and then over time built it up to something where it's a full-time gig for you now mm-hmm. with that being the case what is your advice for people who who are looking to do 
can make a similar progression. And I'll just say with the caveat being that they first of all have to become the best coach they can. Be. Let's just take <laughs> exactly. that for granted. Yes. Yep. Take that for granted. Say, okay, you need to be the best coach you can be and take the steps to do that. Besides that, right. what other what other advice would you give somebody? So first speaking strictly from like a business standpoint, like how do you build a business, all that sort of thing. So I actually worked I, I had my dream job before I quit to do this full time. And it was um, at a startup downtown Minneapolis and it was called lead pages. And they allowed us to go to these like marketing conventions where we got to hear all of these um, very, very influential, like entrepreneurs who are really big in digital marketing. Um, they would get up and talk. And the first year that I listened to it was in 2015. So it was like, about a year after I started my run coaching business and I would hear these people talk about how they created these businesses online and what they did. And, um, basically they were all just founded on the premise of like, everyone said that they were crazy and all they were doing is following their passion and all they wanted to do was like help people. And I was like, that kind of sounds like what I'm doing. And I was like, yeah, but I could never do it full time. And then the next year I went, it was the same thing as it's called the converted conference or something. And it's in Minneapolis every year. Um, and the next year, this guy from, I think it's called Nerd Fitness, he got up there. And I was like, huh, you're, you're in the fitness industry too. And he was talking about his community that he built and how it's like a million dollar company. And I just couldn't even believe it. Like, I didn't even believe it. I'm sitting there on my phone Googling, what is Nerd Fitness? Like, this can't be real. And um, it is. And this guy, like, he was explaining how to build a team and all these things. And I was like, wow, these are really good things to talk about because he's changing all these people's lives by – maybe these people didn't have a place before um, in like the fitness world. And then the, he has this online community where it's like people are really bonding and connecting and he's doing it for all the right reasons. And it just is something that people were looking for and he filled the need. Um, so I guess just always creating content that people are benefiting from and always coming from that place of how can I help other people? Because you might be doing a lot of work that you think isn't going to directly impact people, but over time doing little things for the right reasons will pay off in your favor. That's a great point. And especially in the age of social media, it's so easy. I shouldn't say easy. It's it, there. There's so much availability to be proactive. So much. Somebody, yep, right? so much. It's, it's not easy. It's quite time consuming, especially over the long term. But there's a lot of ways to comment on things that people are doing in a helpful and empathetic way that can lead to a bond, whether that becomes a bond that, that becomes you know part of your business or just someone that you end up becoming friendly with or maybe even both. I think there's a lot of ways to do that. Um, but again, it does take a lot of effort. It does. And some of it is time consuming. Um, like I know I started doing YouTube like, I don't know, three years ago and I would I would just kind of take ideas that were in my head that I talked to my athletes a lot about and I would just kind of ramble about them for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. That's what I started doing on my Instagram TV channel also. But I wasn't really getting a lot of feedback. No one was watching them. So I just kind of like put it on pause. And then I came back to it like, I don't know, it, maybe a few months ago. And I looked at one of my videos and it had like all these hits. Like literally it went from 300 views in two years to all of a sudden like, I don't know if it's like at 30,000 or something. And I was like, how are all these people seeing it? So it's like, one thing that you do on the internet can last you for so many years. So if you just put in like, you know, 10 minutes of your time, it could benefit people and people will be watching it for hours and hours and hours. And you're impacting like on such a broad scale. 
Um, and I think that's something that's never really been possible in the business world before um, the internet was around. And the internet's really relatively new. I know I, it was invented in like the 90s, but since then, businesses have really been able to take to the internet and just explode with growth and all the e-commerce stuff that's out there. It's it's a great opportunity if people are willing to kind of put in put in the effort. Yeah, and take the long-term view, right? Because totally. just like anything, um, you know, it, it's so easy to expect quick results, especially if you're coming from a base of knowledge, right? Say you're someone who's like a you know, fantastic runner who knows mm-hmm. all sorts of plans. And mm-hmm. You're confident about your coaching ability. You can't just put out three YouTube videos and expect, you know, expect, you know, the, the athletes to come falling from the heavens into your lap. You know, it does yeah. take time. It's yeah, it's really hard. And that kind of goes back to the whole like growing my business thing. So it was just me for, you know, the first like three or four years. And I think like, I kind of got to a point where I was like, you know what, I'm not reaching everyone, I want to bring someone else on. And I also needed additional help because I was kind of like at my limit. So I knew someone who was just exactly the person that you were saying, like, he is, uh, you know, like, 68 minute half marathon guy. He was an assistant coach at a college. His job full time was managing a running store. I'm like, this guy is perfect. And I knew him personally. We kind of like interviewed and went through like the whole process. And I was like, this guy is going to be great. Like everyone's going to want to work with him because, you know, it's run for PRs. And, you know, I brought him on and he like is the most knowledgeable person ever. Like he's just a wealth of knowledge to me ever since I brought him on. Like if I ever have questions or doubts or anything, I go to him. Like he just, I mean, his bachelor's is in, you know, human kinesiology and he has a master's in it. So, um, he's great to have on the team, but at first people were like, didn't want to work with him. And I was really taken aback by that. I'm like, what, why would you not want to work with him? And they're like, no, I want to work with you. And I was like, but what do I have that he doesn't have? And so I hear a lot of people who are also on the flip end where they're like, well, no one would want to work with me. Cause I'm just this person. And it's like, that's not how it always works. Like a lot of people, a lot of run coaches, I'm sure look at me and think <laughs> like, she's not that great. Why are people working with her? Um, but it's not about like how you are as an athlete. I think it's more about like the impact that you're making on these people and the experience that you're giving them. Cause obviously it's all about like the customer experience and how you're helping them. And that doesn't necessarily mean that like someone who's fast is better at it than someone who's not as fast. Yeah, and because you're working with amateur runners who are doing this as a as a, kind of a subsection yep. of their life, totally. even though they can be completely dedicated to it, they're dedicated to it in context with other parts of their life. Exactly. So I feel like the, the the that relationship is not only about running. It's almost like you're also like a I think when it's at their best, you're almost like a kind of like a counselor. I wouldn't like say a psychologist. Life coach. Yeah. A life coach in a way. Because <laughs> oh. you are because it's like you know, they'll rely on you when times are tough or when they've like, you know, downward spiraled a little bit, right? When, when times yeah. are great, that mm-hmm. relationship is almost like silence, right. right? It's like killed another workout. Great job. Here's next week. You yeah. know what I mean? It's when it's like, hey, I just had a pint of ice cream last night, <laughs> slept two hours, and now I feel like a piece of crap. Like, why am I even doing this in the first place? Yeah. And definitely, that's when it's different. Yeah. That's, that's when like the whole coaching thing really comes into play. And I think that's kind of like where... Um, that's like how we kind of grew is because there are so many things that as recreational, as amateur or competitive runners, we face because we don't do this full time. You know, like you said, like the things that come first in our lives are going to be our family, our career, those sort of things, our friends, maybe in there, (laughs) you know, 
but then running comes. Friends, maybe. Spoken like a <laughs> true new parent. I mean, like, it's like, goodbye, friends. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know where you place running. Is it above friends? Some people maybe, but so anyways, they, and people will come with like real problems that happen. Like, and it, it's crazy. The list of things that I have heard people go through as a coach, like just, you know, it's like almost like heartbreaking when you like hear, you see these emails come in and you're like, oh my gosh, I just, you feel so bad because it's like so many crazy things can happen and they just really need like your support through those times as a coach and just being there through like the highs and the lows. Cause a lot of those things like might not affect training, but sometimes they do. And that's when it's really important to be there and just kind of like be empathetic and say, you know, I've not been in that situation, but I understand like, this is going to be really stressful for you. Like, do we need to back off? Like, do we need to rethink? Like, there's just so many things that go into training. And so people always say, well, I can get a training plan for free, you know, Hal Higdon, right? Like everyone can see those for free. Why would I get a coach? And that was something that people used to say to me a lot three years ago. And I think now people are understanding more like why you get a run coach is not necessarily, I mean, yeah, of course you're getting the training and it's specific and it's custom and you're getting all the paces and it's all really specific to you and your race schedule and all of the, those good things. But you're also getting like that support piece, which I think is like huge. It is like invaluable. You have someone that you can talk to about these things that you're going through emotionally and mentally throughout your training. Cause you're never going to have a training cycle where, you know, your work isn't going to have something pop up or, something family related doesn't pop up. And those things are things that you can talk to your coach about. Yeah. And then accountability is there too, right? Like I, totally. I, felt, that, you know, yep. like, I felt like if I blow off this workout, my coach is going to know. Yep. And, and they're going to, they're going to see the red and train peaks and, and they're probably going to reach out to you, you know, like you can't really like avoid it. Um, yeah. And it's funny because there's a parallel in, in higher education as well. These things called the massive online courses uh, massive open online courses. They're called MOOCs and anyone can sign up for these. They're free. They're taught by legitimate professors, but you know, there could be like 4,000 people in a class. And it's basically you go online, you sign up for it and you just listen in and you know, there, there's some exercises there, but for the most part, it's just you alone in a room watching this thing. And mm-hmm. while they can be incredibly informative, the retention rate for people who stay involved with these courses, is like a 99% dropout rate. Yep. And the reason is, is because once it starts getting hard, there's no accountability. Like no one even probably knows you're taking this stupid class. I shouldn't say stupid class. No one knows you're taking this thing. <laughs> so like, so it's Friday night, right? Your friends want to go out or you're mm-hmm. tired from a week yep. of work and you have this exercise you have to do or paper you have to write or whatever. And it's like, man, I'm not investing in this thing. Like I, who cares? I, I'm just going to get out. So I think the accountability thing is huge. And if you don't mind, I know um, we talked about your background and I could talk to you another, for another hour about your background. Cause totally. I think it really is fascinating, <laughs> but I think the people listening to this also dive into other yeah, stuff. Yeah. Let's dive into some questions. Cause you, you you're the it. expert here. You're the coach. Let's dive into it. Okay. Let's so, do it. so we'll just pick up right kind of right where we left off with this conversation is the idea of racing for fun versus racing to improve. You know, we just talked about accountability and, you know, kind of fitting in running with the rest of our lives. Also, you know, sometimes, you know, your name of your business is run for PRs. (laughs) However, 
as you know, and I'm sure you tell us to your clients all the time, not every race is going to be a PR. So when you're working with your clients, when do you talk about racing for fun and experience versus, you know, racing to improve and really try to, you know, kind of get to that next level? Right. So every time someone signs up, they're all going to have different goals, motivations and everything. So we just have like a kind of like an intake form just to kind of see where they're at. Um, you know, some people come to us and they're just totally goal driven. They're time driven. That's all they want is that gold time, you know, and that's great. And then we also have other people who come to us and they're like, I just kind of want to run, you know, have accountability. And I want to run, you know, three times a week. And I also still want to do my lifting and my yoga. Um, but I just want someone to kind of keep me accountable and they don't really have any goals. They have no races and that's great too. I mean, we can work kind of with any spectrum of runners. And so the whole premise of like run for PR is like, yes, of course, all runners, they, they want that PR race. They want to run their personal best. They always want to feel like they're in the best shape of their lives. But I think like a PR can mean so much more. Um, it can be like, you know, striving to always be the best version of yourself on any given day. So you're always just saying, what do I have today? And can I give it my, my all? And I think if you're at a race and you're, you're racing, even if you're not going for a PR, you're still striving to like give your best version of yourself and do the best that you can. Yeah. And I think, I feel like for some people, and this is going to be, I'll just say for me. All right. So for me, racing can be, um, can be a tough thing. Yep. Because I, I judge myself harshly and this is born out of experience of when I've been at my best, I've never actually reached a race goal that a coach has given mm-hmm. me. So like I'm over like 25 on race goals right. that come from people who are knowledgeable coaches. Totally. And they're like, you, you are, this is the shape you're in. Like they, they, they come from, a, yeah. they know me, they know mm-hmm. coaching, they know running, like this is where you are. So after a while, I'm like, man, I don't like racing anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm like I've attached these preconceived notions to like, okay, this is what I'm capable of doing. I should be able to do it. I can't totally. do it. And this is a reflection somehow on me. Yeah. And you have those kinds of conversations with your athletes. Yeah, How do you I mean, approach it? That's really like a realistic thing that happens to other runners. I mean, you're totally not alone there. I have seen it happen so many times where people are in the shape. They should be able to run X on paper. And then it's just like on race day, sometimes like the execution, it just isn't there. Um, And a lot of that is if it's a repeat thing, like kind of what you're saying to me, like I would probably think, you know, maybe there's some like anxiety involved there, like racing anxiety, because it's like it's happened so many times to you that it's like you're almost expecting it to happen. And so when a coach is setting your goal, for example, and I knew that about you, I would probably like low shoot it. I would give you a goal that I know that you know that you could hit. And then you might almost be like, what? I'm not in that. And I'd be like, that's that's your goal. Your goal is to run, let's say you're running a 5k and like I know that like if you were racing all out like based on all your workouts you're in shape to run like 1930 but just based on like your history as an athlete and like how you race and stuff I'd probably just talk a lot about like race game plan and I'd say you know like we're not going to put a lot of pressure on this race we're just going to kind of pretend it's another workout I don't want you to go out hard I want you to feel good I don't want you to look at your Garmin there's so many things that like are coachable um as terms of like racing so maybe there's like triggers for you like when you're racing you look down you're like oh my gosh like I'm going so slow or whatever um we also try to tell people like don't look at your watch like go off a feel and sometimes like for people who have like the whole race anxiety thing it's like we kind of talk about like a little bit lower of a goal, like ABC goals. And I'll sometimes even just tell people, Hey, your goal today is, is like a little bit lower than what they're maybe capable of just because you know that under pressure they might, you know, not perform as well. 
Right. And one thing that you did in your marathon experience is that you just kept running marathons kind of like one after another. Like oh you said, you'd almost, you'd almost like would, would sign up for one right after another. Isn't that terrible? Yeah, it, it, it was it, bad. It is pretty crazy. <laughs> but it does, it does beg the question because for some people, the, a topic comes up where say they run a marathon and it doesn't go the way they hoped, mm. right? Which yep. you know, happens a lot. And it, But that yep. can be de- much more demoralizing than a 5K that doesn't go as well as you hoped. Because first of all, you're all invested. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all the, the training build leading up, up. It's, yeah. And then also, but this, this is the bigger thing, is that like it leaves you with this usual, usually a void mm-hmm. between that race and your next one. So what is your stance on kind of capitalizing on marathon fitness after the marathon is complete? Yeah, that's a tough one. It's kind of like more on a, on a case-by-case basis, you know, based on their history, their background, and everything like that. Um, I mean, as far as capitalizing on the race, like, do you mean running another marathon or just, like, maintaining their fitness for – or just? Yeah, so I'm thinking – because I know some people, some people who actually have been on this podcast – who like mm-hmm. had that marathon experience were like, Oh gosh, darn it. Like I, I'm just so much better than that. I can't believe that's how it worked out for, you know, for whatever reason, but let's just assume that it's like, they didn't hit the wall and like, aren't like completely exhausted for months. Mm-hmm. Say it's just like something, you know, they had like an odd cramp right, yeah, or okay. they just had like a weird, like stomach experience and like, right. Oh, you know, it's just kind of like, it just torpedoes their race. But they're like, all right, but I'm in the best shape of my life now, and I want to take advantage of it. I don't want to, like, spend another six months waiting for my next big race. So what are some factors people should consider when they're looking at, like, all right, maybe I can just take this fitness and kind of expedite the process into the next one? I mean, that's – it's really tricky racing back-to-back marathons like that. Um, I mean, sometimes, yeah, it does go well, and people can get away with doing it. I mean, I've obviously – like it was Boston 2015. I was in really good shape. Um, and then I didn't run like my goal time. It wasn't too far off, but then two months later I went and that's where I ran my PR of 314 at grandma's. Um, so the biggest thing that you're going to want to do, if you're going to try to attempt this, which I feel like should be on a case by case basis. I feel like I can't speak to the general public on this, but if you're already like Hart said, like you're going to do this, recovery basically in between is going to be the biggest thing. You're not really going to maintain any like fitness gains. So you're just going to want to really keep the recovery as maximal as possible. So we're not going to dive right back into 20 mile long runs. You're not going to do probably any runs that are over, you know, 16 miles in between. If you're going to do like a two month split, um, you just have to be very careful with what you're doing um, in the in-between time, because like you said, it's a big buildup and it's, it's even harder to recover from. Um, I usually don't advise. I mean, if in marathon, if this happens and a marathon doesn't go as well as we plan, we always have the conversation with an athlete. Like, how are you feeling? Like, what are you thinking? Like, and we'll usually try to plan for whatever is the next cycle. So like, let's say it was a spring marathon. Most people in my experience don't want to go and shoot for another marathon six weeks later. And we we're open to doing that, but I've never really had someone that I've coached that I can really think of off the top of my head where we're like, yep, you're going to go after, you know, your next race in six weeks. Cause we're more about like long-term success. And so a lot of the times you do that, you kind of like get burnt out and um, it'll, you won't notice it right away, but over time and like over the years, like it can really wear on you. Um, 
So yeah. we kind of advise against doing that. So when you did the two-month turnaround from Boston to Grandma's, was that pre-planned? Mm-hmm. It was not. So I had my cards all in on Boston. Like, it was my first Boston, and everyone's like, you know, you should just go to enjoy it. It's a really hard course. And I was like, yeah, I get it. And I trained really hard, and it was – it took me, like, five marathons to qualify for Boston. So it was a really big deal for me to go and run it. And, like, I trained really hard. And I ran 320 the first time I was there and it was like just a few seconds off a of PR. And like, I was just totally heartbroken, which looking back is so silly. I have no idea why it was so hard on myself. It's so funny. This is why runners. coaches need coaches. It is. Yeah, it is. It really is. And everyone's like, you did amazing. And, but deep down I'm like, but that wasn't the time that I wanted to run. So I had, I had no intention of running another marathon. And then on the flight back or when we were in the airport, I just logged on to grandma's marathon and I registered because I just wanted to kind of seek revenge. And I, that's another thing. If people are planning like back-to-back marathons out in advance, I think that's really mentally challenging. Um, some people could get away with it, but like, if you know, in the back of your mind, like, let's say you're running the Chicago marathon and you know, in the back of your mind, you also are going to double back and do NYC. And like, you're kind of going after moderate goals at both of them it could hinder your performance because you know oh shoot if I go all out at Chicago today you know I have still have to recover and I have to do all this so I kind of advise not being registered for multiple marathons within the same season just for that reason so was it I don't know if it was your boyfriend at the time or your husband at that point yeah but would you told do you tell him what you were doing before you logged on or was it after the fact <laughs> he kind of knows that I've done this like when yeah but I it was like while I was doing it I'm like yeah, I'm gonna run grandma's and he looked at me like you're insane like why would you do that but he knows like that I've that's just how I am I don't know <laughs> well right because like what was your second fastest marathon was part of the goofy challenge yeah yep so this is this is just part of who you are. It's just part of who I am. So he knew he was not surprised at all. <laughs> That's classic. I the Goofy Challenge is such a such a unique experience. Now, what's the four day one? Um, that's dopey, where you do five k, ten k, half, and then full. Yeah, those. It's it's intense. <laughs> yeah, my buddy's done that a couple times, and it's like, geez, Louise, is that is really insane? It's you know, it's basically a family experience to say nothing of just the sleep deprivation that you get yes <laughs> yeah waking up at like two in the morning it's actually funny because the person on instagram who has your running rambler like what are they called handle <laughs> he he's from minnesota and um he has done the joby challenge quite a few times so yeah shout out to that guy it's funny that you're actually <laughs> friends with him he has, yeah. has a rambling runner handle i'm rambling underscore runner and a lot of the people mention him and then like recorrect and like correct it after the fact <laughs> I know. That is so funny. Yeah, I actually met him at Boston 2015 um, through our running group. But, yeah, he he definitely owns that one. <laughs> he's got he's got me on that one. That's he's for sure. He's got you. <laughs> so, so you're, as you mentioned before, you're more of a fast twitch kind of athlete than long distance person, which you realized while you were in college. But, obviously, the marathon has, has worked out well for you because not only have you run fast times, but you've been able to put in – a lot of marathons in a very condensed period of time. So mm-hmm. when you're working with people who have kind of a fast twitch background, but now want to focus on the marathon, what are some of the things you try to have them focus on? Um, because I would assume when you're doing some of the shorter, faster stuff, they probably kind of over overachieve a little bit on some of those workouts, whereas maybe some of the other workouts are a little bit tougher for them. Totally. So this is a great point. And I think, for some of the listeners who maybe like don't understand what that stuff means is 
So fast twitch is basically someone who's like more inclined and like performs better at like the shorter distance. So like the one mile or the 5k. Um, And so a lot of the calculators online, this is how you can kind of tell if you're one of these people or not. You can go online to like Jack Daniels run smart calculator and type in your recent 5k result or your 5k PR and kind of compare what the race predictor says that you should be able to run in like the marathon or half marathon. And if you're kind of close, you know, within five, five maybe 10 minutes then then you're you're pretty even but like let's say for example you can run like I don't know a 19 minute 5k like 19 flat and your marathon PR is like 345 there's obviously room for improvement because like if you can run a 19 minute 5k you should be in the low threes for a marathon for sure um so if that was the case if you can't I mean you had a 19 minute 5k PR and you have like 345 marathon we would be wanting to focus a lot more on like building that endurance and all things to like uh not we wouldn't be focusing on speed work because we already know like yeah you you have speed so we would want to be building up like the mileage looking at how many miles per week have you been running and what were you running your last training cycle so that's one way um building the long run because some people kind of slack on that and really getting those long runs between like two hours to two hours and 30 minutes that's gonna be like a really sweet spot for building up that endurance and building the there's like these fast twitch convertibles that can like go into the slow twitch muscles. You can like train your muscles how to act differently and doing those two to two and a half hour long runs. That's like the big window for when those kind of adaptations can happen. Um, And then so the mileage, the long runs, and then doing more workouts that are, you know, either steady state, medium long runs, threshold work we're not going to be doing a lot of like 200s and stuff to try to like get that raw speed and turnover like obviously we're still going to have strides and stuff like at the end of some of your easy runs but we're going to be focusing more on like building that aerobic engine yeah and i think the part of that too is just the mental aspect right because you get someone like that they they also can plug their stuff into a calculator and they're like but i should be doing xyz and mm-hmm. it's like you, you kind of have that it can be a little frustrating. It can be. Yeah, totally. And I think that that's something a lot of runners experience because you're going to, I guarantee you that almost every runner out there is going to go and plug in their times and they're not going to hit. Most people do not capitalize on what they are capable of in the marathon distance or the half marathon distance based on their 5k. And the biggest thing is just kind of understanding that like, you're not alone in this. And that's kind of what we try to preach to people is like over time, like you're going to become better at racing and maybe just like setting the benchmarks a little bit lower and like attainable to that, you know, high goal way up there. So you might plug in your thing and it might say, you should be able to run, you know, like a one thirty half marathon. And you're like, well, the last time I did a half, I only ran like one thirty seven, and my PR is, you know, like one thirty two, And I'm so frustrated. How do I close this gap? And it's like, well, maybe we're, we don't need to like aim for the stars right away. Like we can just kind of work on, slowly chipping away at it like maybe sub 135 is a good goal it's kind of setting those benchmarks and like celebrating those victories because anytime you have a race where sure you're not gonna maybe it's not a pr and maybe like you didn't run like a super fast time that like is your a goal like way up in the stars but you ran smart and you listened to your body and like negative split like those things should all be like celebrated and i think that that's something that's more important than, you know, shooting for like a specific time, just kind of learning your body and like learning how to push yourself and how to race successfully is part of being like an athlete. That's a great point. Um, I mean, absolutely. And, and, and 
that's something that comes up a lot on this show totally. because you have people who look back on, you know, things that they, they, they experienced and they, they kind of regret how they approached it in retrospect. They wish they had taken more joy in it. Or as a coach, they look at some of their athletes and say, Hey, I wish, you know, I can see this person is going to regret how they're approaching their current uh, fitness and how mm-hmm. like how negative they are about their results because you never know what's going to happen. Um, and I think part of that too is, trying to figure out what is somebody's potential and breaking through the barriers barriers to get there. And while that might be a long-term goal, being understanding of, all right, that, that doesn't mean we don't celebrate the short-term steps on the way to that, that ultimate, yep. you know, the ultimate, that ultimate threshold that you want to get past. Right. I mean, it's just like anything else in life. Like if in your career, for example, like let's say you're trying to work your way up to become, you know, CEO, totally hypothetical. And, you know, you had to take like you're a manager, like they're just there's steps to get there. And even like, let's say you did get demoted at some point during your career. That doesn't mean that like eventually you won't get back to that place. And I think where a lot of runners kind of run into frustrations is if they're comparing themselves to like, you know, maybe other people are comparing themselves to like past performances. And I think sometimes in our own mind, if we did have like a past performance that we're kind of like idolizing up there, we think that it's supposed to be easy. And we think that, oh, like during this race, I felt like this and I felt so good and it felt so easy. But in reality, you never felt good when you're racing hard. And I think sometimes we just like have these false replays in our mind of what things used to be like, but you always had to work hard to get there. And I think that's just really important for every athlete to remember. I love that. And I'm going to jump on that for a second, because do you have either when you're, when you're onboarding a new client or just in your normal conversations with current clients, do you kind of have like a sell by date on different PRs? Like when someone asks me like what my 5k or half marathon PR is, I can give it to them, but it's not recent. Oh yeah. Yeah. So in our question year, we say, what are your PRs? And then like the next question follow up, what have you ran in all of like any races in the last year? So like your PRs, those are great. And those are things that like you can hold for the rest of your life. Like they're like badges of honor, you know, but then as far as like, where is your fitness at right now? Like where, where is our starting point? Um, that's kind of like more like what's in the last 12 to six months is what we're really looking at. Like, what have you really been doing? Cause like, yeah, my husband, his 5k PR is like 1530. He did that like 12 years ago. So it's like, we, we wouldn't really use that if we're gonna use, um, come up with workouts for him, we'd use like more recent times. And then as soon as someone comes on, everyone who's listening, they probably all know, Oh, I know what she's gonna say. We have them do a two mile time trial. So we say, Okay, you're gonna do like a one or two mile warm up, and then you're just gonna go out and you're just gonna run two miles hard as hard as you can. And a lot of people, they kind of get nervous when you tell them to do this. Cause I think I'm they, getting nervous just yeah. listening to this. And it's so funny because it's like, it's, it's almost silly because it's like, it's your starting point. So even if it's really bad, like it can only move up from there. But I think people are so hard on themselves and they think, Oh my gosh, what if I don't hit this pace? Or what if I'm slower than like my last 5k or this or that? And like, you're so worried, but it just gives us a baseline and it gives us kind of like, it also kind of gives us an in tune to like how you are as an athlete. Cause like if you go out and you do it and you're like, I killed it, I killed it. Like that, that'll let me know. Like you're really excited. You're pumped. Like, 
whatever. Sometimes we get people that respond back and they're like, I can't do this. They'll literally say, I'm not doing it. And I'll be like, oh, okay, well, um, let's find an alternative because they're like, it's too intimidating for them. Or that kind of tells me that maybe they've had bad experiences racing in the past or working with other coaches. And we maybe need to like dive a little bit deeper in there because that, I mean, it shouldn't, it's not like they can't go out and physically run two miles fast. It's that they're just like really intimidated by the task and that kind of, it goes into facing some of those mental things and how can we help you mentally? That's funny. Cause the, the, the reason that I was thinking of was neither of those. Oh, really? I was well, thinking, were you nervous? <laughs> so like, I was like instantaneously nervous when you presented oh, that's that so funny. because I would be like, I would be exposed. I'd be like, I'd be like going to school naked. Like That was like, that's how I felt when I heard that. I'm like, I would do that test. I would send it to my coach and they'd be like, oh yeah, that's it. It it is. Yeah. It's, I feel like it is an intimidating thing for people to do. And I get, I get that a lot. People will be like, oh, well, uh," and like you hear a lot of people like say excuses afterwards or whatever. And it's like, it's okay. Like everyone does it. We have everyone do it. So it's, yeah. And it, I, I get it. It's, it's uncomfortable. And I think that's kind of like the first step in like, maybe we're going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, but in the long haul, it's like, it works out in your favor. Cause then like over time, like let's say in like four months or two months from now, you do another time trial and you're like, Oh, I actually beat that one, you know? And so it can be a confidence booster, but it can. Yeah. And one thing that you advocate, which um, a lot of coaches have very different opinions on this subject um, is lifting heavy. So can you say exactly what you mean by that and how you came to that opinion? Yeah. So this kind of goes back to like my whole, uh, th- the definition of lifting heavy here, I feel like it's kind of variable because in the lifting world, if someone saw what I was doing, they'd say, Psh, you're not lifting heavy. But I mean, I'm not like, whereas the reverse, I'm not like turning on some workout video and like have like four pound dumbbells that I'm, you know, <laughs> using. Um, it's kind of more like lifting heavy, like moderate, like, and it's not, I'm not going in there trying to, you know, like max out on like my bench press or whatever, every single time. It's just, I'm trying to build some strength. Um, and a lot of that has to do for me personally, I'm trying to build back strength from pregnancy and all that stuff. Um, a lot of our runners, like there's imbalances that they use in their strength or they, they have to address imbalances in their strength training routine. Um, so just going back to like, the whole cross country thing. And my old coach, we recently hired him to do our strength training. Cause I am not accredited or certified as a personal trainer in any means. Um, but S- Scott, our strength coach, he is, he has like 18 years experience doing this. And I just kind of use some of the lifts that he has given and like the guidelines that he gives me and it helps keep me accountable. And it also kind of lets me know that what I'm doing is actually going to be helping my training um, because he was, you know, a cross country coach for so many years and he would do all the lifting programs for them. Um, And it's very like runner specific. So I just do kind of follow what he tells me. Right. No, absolutely. That's, that's good to know that you have, that there's someone who's doing it. That's kind of well, well um, credentialed in that area because you want to make sure that, you know, obviously it's a, it's, it's a very specialized thing. And, um, and obviously there's, there's a lot of, there's injury that can result from those sorts of things. So obviously if someone's going to, going to do one of those plans, make sure you're talking to the right people right. Um, as you address it. But this, I want to dive into this in context of, and this is kind of where I want to go next with this whole thing is talking to, you know, working with athletes who are super busy. Mm-hmm. All right. So you have the lifting piece, you have the running piece and you have the cross training piece, which, right. um, 
are usually parts of a lot of people's plans, usually at least two of those, sometimes even all three. So when you're dealing with people who are very busy for whatever reason, whether it's family, work, both, or other things, how how much emphasis do you put on each bucket and how do you decide um, when and where to use them? Yeah. So that kind of goes back to like when they first come in, like everyone's going to come from different places. They have different schedules and all that stuff. Some people, they're really like hesitant to even start working with a coach because they're like, this is the first question. How many days per week do you make me, you know, do stuff? And I'm like, well, how many, like (laughs) how many days per week can you do things? You know? So like if you're limited um, and you can only do, you know, three, four days a week, that's where we're kind of have to start like prioritizing. Okay. Like how many, how many minutes like each, each day do you have to, to give me? And then from there we kind of like break it down. So if you can really only do like three days a week for like running or doing exercise and you're, you want to train for a specific running event, um, I would just be running those three days and then, you know, like right after your run, if you have time, do a quick strength routine. Um, the whole strength routine thing, these can be really quick. I mean, 10, 15 minutes. I think the thing that takes the most time is really like the running. Um, and then the, the cross training, we refer it to as like aerobic cross training, like biking, cycling, if like you, you're still building your mileage. Um, so I guess it just depends on the person and, and what you have time for. So like Jessica Hadley, I think she was on your show and she's been working with me now for three years. Um, and when she first came to me, she was very adamant on, yeah, I only have four days per week to work. Like I have two kids, I have a career. My husband is very busy with work also. So these are my and four he's, days. And he's a client of yours. Yes. Yes. So she got him on board too, like starting, I don't know, about two years ago too. So yeah, now he, he only does like three or four days a week and that's just kind of like what they get. Well, and now she is built up to more because at first it was four, we did four and then eventually she's like, you know, I think I want to try five. And I think, you know, just as you kind of learn what you can handle and manage, like I just, what I would really hate for people to do is think, you know, oh, I want to do this marathon and they just dive into something. It's all about like progressively seeing like, what can you handle? And if, if four is all you can do for like a year or two years like that is awesome like four days a week to work out and to run like that's huge and most people would never be able to commit that amount of time so I think just like when people are comparing and thinking oh I have to do seven or six days because this person did that's not the case like give what you have and I just hate the whole mentality where people think well it's all or nothing and if I, if I'm not doing it like this, I, I better wait to start chasing my goals. Cause like Jessica, when she first started, like that could have been her mindset. She could have been like, you know what? Might as well just wait because I can only do four days a week. But if you look at like how far she's come, like the first run that I had her do, like she did maybe like two or three miles at like 11 minute pace, 10 minute pace. And now she's like a 142 half marathon or she's ran three marathons. And now she she wants to run more. Like she's like, can we do more days per week? And it just, it's funny how it like, transforms over time when it becomes a part of your routine and it becomes more manageable um so i think that kind of speaks to the whole topic of managing your time and your your whole your life within training and even if you can't increase over time right is i i was of the belief um that if you're only running three or four days a week that it might be good for you but you're probably not going to improve no. And I feel like that was completely, I completely missed the boat on that. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it just really depends on like where you're at. So like, for example, my husband, 246 marathoner, when he was at that level, I mean, that's like 
a moderately high level. I mean, some people listening might be like, that's not that high, but that's pretty high level. And I think to get back to that level, he would probably have to be running more than three or four days a week. But like, I mean, a lot of people can see a ton of improvement running those three to four days per week. And it's a huge baseline. Like if you're just going to throw it out the window and say, you know what, I'm just not going to run at all because that's better. I mean, if you run three or four days a week, that's better than not running. You know what I mean? Or yeah. No, absolutely. And, and not only that, when you're talking to people who, I guess their, their first question is how many times do you, do I need to run a week? They're probably the same people who at least early on, um, in this relationship with the coach are probably viewing running on some level as some, as a way to decrease weight, decrease mm. body weight. So obviously, you know, there, there's, you know, we're not cyclists here. Obviously when you're, when you're a cyclist, there is a direct correlation between weight and performance, right? If you're, if you're a cyclist, a client that's like, you know, you're doing the tour de France, you're going up mountains. Anyone who's ever rode a bike uphill knows how much of a pain in the butt it is and how much you weigh has a direct correlation to that. However, for running, it's not, it's not as relational or it's right. not the right word, but it's not as, it doesn't have the kind of relationship that running, honestly, that biking and weight have. So when you're talking to people about racing weight and losing weight and getting to like an ideal weight range and fat and muscle and all of that, when you're having initial conversations with people, how are you framing this topic? As far as weight goes and running and all that stuff, I think, like you said, a lot of people are running because they're trying to be healthier and they want to like have the healthy lifestyle and they're all doing it for like those right reasons and everything like that. Um, I'd never really like bring up the topic of weight as far as that's concerned, just because it's, it's on a case by case basis. And over the internet, you really have like no idea like what someone, and if you look at people like Patrick Cutter, for example, if you looked at his statistics on paper, you'd say, I didn't know he was on your show too. He said he was 180 pounds and it's like, okay, 180 pounds. He's whatever, six something. People might say, yeah, well, I, think, I think he's 510. Yeah. 510. He, so people would say, no, in order to run fast, you have to weigh, you know, 140 pounds. He'd be like, well, so you don't really know like who you're working with or like what sort of build they have. So I just, I never bring it up. Um, I think the biggest thing is that like you have to be feeling properly um, for your training. And I think where people like kind of get fixated on like the whole weight and like I need to lose weight to be faster. I think that can kind of be like toxic um, at times because you don't want to like travel down the wrong path with that. So I think just having that intention that like food is fuel and you want to be feeling properly and making sure that all of those needs are met. And as you continue to, you know, exercise and do all the right things that somehow like you're going to reach an equilibrium weight where this is like a good weight for you. And just to continue at that and don't look at what other people look like or what other people weigh and like obsess over that because everyone's going to be different. Um, and weighing less does not mean that you're going to be faster by any means whatsoever. Right. Especially if you're incorporating, um, you know, a serious strength training program over, totally. over a long period of time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and so muscle obviously weighs more than fat. And if you're building muscle, you might gain a little bit of weight here and there. Um, and especially in your legs. I mean, if you're, if you're doing oh, yeah. hardcore leg workouts, I mean, you can't build, you know, relatively speaking, especially as you get older, especially for men, say men, say guy is mm-hmm. 23, you can gain serious weight in your upper body if you lift hard. 
but you know, so I'm in my now late late thirties, like that that's not happening. Right? I'm <laughs> right? not I'm yeah. not gonna be putting on a lot of like, you know, sustained, yeah. you know, I'm not gonna be putting on a muscle a lot of muscle mass on my upper body unless I just dedicate years to the effort. With that said though, you can put on serious weight in your legs if you're, you know, you're squatting and you're deadlifting mm-hmm. and all of those things. And there are some pe- positive benefits. Um, again, it's not a direct correlation, but there can be positive benefits from a, uh, from a running perspective as well. Totally. Yeah. I mean, just having like a strong core and strong form and everything, it's going to help you run faster, like the later miles of the race. I mean, Patrick Cutter, his marathon PR is amazing. Um, and part of it might just be like, I mean, he's so strong, like he is strong. So like the form at the end of the race, I mean, the guy is solid, so he can just like power through it. It's, it's crazy. So, I mean, you can't, you can't really judge someone and say, Oh, because they weigh this much, they're going to be better. It's like, there's balancing everything and finding, you know, what works for each person. And obviously if people like want to try to find like, a lower weight or they're trying to like run and lose weight. Um, like we have a registered dietitian that we work with who can work with people like case by case basis to kind of cover those things. Cause when we're training and we're going through like the RCA certification, like, yes, you can give people like guidelines for eating, but as far as like coming up with nutrition plans and coming up with like, Oh, these are like what you should be eating and how much you should be weighing and all that stuff. Like we kind of stay away from that. It's more, um, just feeling your body and then just like letting the professionals, like if you want someone to like help you with like the meal portion of things, like seeing like a registered dietitian or someone who works in the professional field, that's used to helping people, um, reach their weight loss goals. Right. And another way to approach this topic too, is just go stand at a finish line of a local 5k. Yeah. And you'll see that like, there's people coming in at, 18 minutes who look who look very similar to people coming in at 24 minutes totally yep i mean and even just watching the finish of grandma's when i was up there uh we started watching i think when the clock said like 2 30 and just seeing like all the different body types that are running 26 miles 26.2 miles at like sub six minute pace or like right around six minute pace it like it you're amazed at like all the types that you see so definitely the wide range there there you go. All right. So we're going to do a couple of quick questions at the end, like I do with every guest. But before we do that, first of all, thank you so much for coming on. This has been such a fun conversation. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited because a lot of my athletes listen to your show and I hope that they, they tune in. That makes two of us. All right. So if someone wants to uh, learn more about you, where are some places that they can go? www.run4, the number of po- for prs.co or you can follow me on instagram it's run for prs with the number four there you go yeah so run for prs.co not not dot com dot co i've yeah. made that mistake before <laughs> um, <laughs> so uh, just google run for prs it'll, it'll pop up <laughs> there you go there you go all right so if you're going out for a run headphones or no headphones mm, if it's a workout i have headphones if it's easy run usually don't oh Whoa. Interesting. Most people, <laughs> most people say the opposite. Oh, really? That's funny. Yeah, I I try not to listen to music on my easy runs because it makes me go too fast. So. Oh, that make that does make sense. Yeah. There you go. There's a tip. People run too fast <laughs> on their easy runs. All right. So if you have them in, what are you listening to? Um, like techno, like a Vici sort of stuff. Because it's because it's a workout. You want something yeah, a little faster yeah, I need, paced. I always need something upbeat. Yep. Okay. So you give out a lot of running advice. 
what's some what is some of that advice that you have trouble following <laughs> don't rave multiple marathons a year don't run multiple marathons in a year i guess that's one people can look at i guess <laughs> there you go right the proof is in the pudding on that one yeah all right so if you if you could run one more race um I'm sorry, if you could only run one more race for the rest of your life, but you could run it every year, what race would it be? I'd probably do Disney. <laughs> I know that sounds kind of funny, but I, I love that marathon. It's so fun. What about it is so good? Just the characters at every mile, and it starts in the dark, so like you don't have the sun effect. and I don't know. It's super flat. Loved it. All right, so what's a bucket list race for you? Probably like some trail races that are out in really beautiful parts of the country, like out, out West. I mean, there's a ton of them, um, like the Moab red hot. It's like an ultra or they have a 30 K. So is that the Moab 240? No. I, is that like 240 miles? Cause that's not, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. There, there's, there's like the Moab red hot 50 K and like 30 K. Oh, and okay. I think it's in, it's in February. No way would I want to do 240 miles. <laughs> no, that makes two of us. No. <laughs> I think that's the one that. I think Courtney DeWalter won that one this year. Oh, she wow. beat the beat the closest, like the next closest person by like ten hours or that something is like that. Insane. Yeah. I mean, she could have like flown to New York and back and like beaten that other person. Oh, that's so line. funny. Yep. It's like I'm gonna go get lunch in New York. I'll I'll be back for number two. Don't worry. Um, yeah. All right. Last one. Who is your dream running partner? Oh man. I don't know. Well, I guess my dog. <laughs> she she pulls me to go like faster. So like. But you I... already run with your dog. No, I don't really run with her anymore because when I was pregnant, like I ran with her a lot, and she pulled me, and I like dislocated my sacrum, so I was on oh. crutches for a few weeks. But so now I I'm kind of I don't know I don't run with her anymore. But she used to pull me so fast it was really fun. So. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to listen to future shows. All right. Thank you so much. Have a great night. Yep. You too. Bye. Thank you again, Victoria, for coming on the show. This was just so much fun. And I think, I'm pretty sure, the longest episode we've ever had here on the Rambling Runner podcast and certainly a great guest to have the longest show with. Also, big shout out to Mercury Mile for letting this all happen and for sponsoring the show. It is greatly appreciated. MercuryMile.com, promo code RamblingRunner10. Also want to thank you, the, the, the listeners. A lot of you share the show. Uh, I just greatly appreciate it every time you do that. Thank you so much. The rate and reviews on Apple, on Apple Podcasts are also greatly appreciated. Um, that, is, uh, that is very generous of you, and I can't thank you enough for doing that. Also, if you haven't done so already or if you're new to the show, please subscribe. You know, I put these shows out every Monday morning and Thursday morning. Um, actually, if you're on the West Coast, you'd probably get them Sunday night and Wednesday night. I put them out before I go to bed, and I'm a Rhode Islander, so they go out uh, for me. Um, at night and uh, for the most East Coasters you get them in the morning for your early morning runs Uh, but if you subscribe you'll be right on your phone right when you want them with all of that being said thank you so much for listening I really appreciate it and happy running